Our scripture reading this morning is from John 5. It says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. This is the living word of God for us today. Amen. Well, as as one who uh, teaches, I I can't let a teachable moment slip by me. Um, I loved singing, you know, Blessed Assurance. And no one has said anything to me. So I'm only saying this because I know myself. But for some of you, you had trouble there. It wasn't blessed assurance. (laughs) Wait, that's blessed assurance? Like, you know, one of your your kids, you know, somebody's going to go home and tell their parents, we sang this new song at church today. (laughs) And I I mean this when I say it. And that our ability to hold um, what matters deeply and not to hold what doesn't matter deeply, that's a part of together is better. And I'm not thinking of anyone in particular, I'm just going. So, so if that song, you know, if singing it in that time, it was like, man, why do they keep doing these modern versions of the song? It's supposed to be this way. Well, because there are some for that, that song, they'll sing it anew and afresh in that way. And that's okay. And there are others who kind of hold that song back here. No, no, this needs to be in like, blessed assurance. You know, we got to go that way. And that's good too. And I'm grateful, I mean this, that we're a community of faith uh, where, and I, I'm not, you know, I'm not even trying to cut off emails to me. No one will say anything to me about that because you know what? It's not that big a darn deal that we sing it and we're going to do it because we want a generation to come to be singing those songs that we've always sung. So there's, I'm, I'm grateful, grateful for that. A quick word, if I may, about a few things. Number one. So glad you're here. We've welcomed you. We'll welcome you again. Uh, we do something called Intro to Fellowship um, that is a class that we do each month. And if you're new, this is the place to step in to find out more about who we are and what we believe. And if this may be the place that you're going to plug in. Um, speaking of plugging in, this is a season when studies are starting, classes, opportunities to connect together is better. It's a value for us because it's a value in the scripture. And so if you will go to community at fellowship, you'll see there where you can step into community in various places and with various people and want to encourage you in that way. I want to say thank you for your giving, your generosity. We speak about financial giving here uh, every week and we thank God for it. And it's thanking God for his faithfulness through his people because it's your generosity, your tithes, your giving, your offering, you know, that allow us to fulfill our mission as a community of faith. We're grateful. We do it online primarily now, and we uh, give to fellowship.com. So thank you for that. Thank God for that. And finally, I want to mention again what we always do, and that's prayer, and we want to pray for you. Um, you can go to this, um, go to prayer, this, the, the email here I'm giving you. If you email us, we will pray with you. We will, you know, we'll join you in that prayer. And so I want to encourage you to do that. When we end the service, there will be people up front on each side who are here to pray with you. I want to encourage you 
to uh, take advantage of that. We've been in a three-week mini-series. It's been in the Gospel of John, but you've noted we've hit a little pause to say we want to revisit our mission and our values, our strategy. And I said to you, I I said at the Franklin campus, I said, you know what? These next 10 years are going to fly by, and y'all, we're going to be standing here. I'm telling you it's going to go like that. And we're going to stand in 2033, and we're going to look back and reflect on what God did in and through us, and a lot of that will be rooted in what we just spent three weeks doing, and that is looking at our mission and our vision and our values and and, and what we believe God has laid out before us. And so I want to remind you, please grab one of these. It's all here. Put it somewhere, as Rob said last week, that you can see it be reminded of it. Uh, We're a community of faith, yes, but we're a community of faith on mission, as all community of faiths are to be. With that, turn in your Bibles to John chapter five. Excuse me. We're gonna pick up where we left off. We're gonna get the last few verses of John five. Our text today is actually verses 30 to 47. We got a little bit of work to do. I'm gonna move through this first part quickly. Um, When I say we have some work to do, I'm speaking of we've got to get ourselves back in the context of this passage in the particular one that we're covering today. We say in Bible study that context is king. Y'all, all all that means is whenever you read any part, okay, so you're reading a part of scripture, you've got to read the part in light of all the parts that came before it and all the parts that came after it and everything from Genesis to Revelation. You got to put that part in its context. To fail to do that is honestly to rob yourself of what that particular text means and tragically to misapply it even. And so context is king. I'll do this by way of review. Chapter five begins with a healing with Jesus healing uh, the paralytic at Bethesda, unable to walk for 38 years. Jesus just, he just says this, get up, take up your bed and walk. And he does. Y'all, that's the third sign in the book of John. There were two others already as we're studying our way through it. There was the first sign, which was the wine, uh, water to wine, Cana, And then there was the healing of the royal official's son. Okay, that's later in chapter two. John calls these signs and and there will be seven of them. We've covered, this is the third one. He calls them signs because these are miracles, supernatural, but the point of them is is not the event itself. And it's it's not that, hey, have faith and God will do this. It's look at Jesus and what he's done because it is pointing to something. It is a sign showing, look at that. And what is it saying, look at? All the signs say, look at Jesus. Now, Jesus does what only God can do. Jesus says things that only God could say. I mean, Jesus has said it so plainly, and we've covered this. Jesus says, God is my father, God and I are one, and I'm only telling you this because God is telling this to me to say to you. And this is what's so crazy about the the book and even the part in particular that we're in right now. The religious leaders of the day, so, so those whose job it is 
<laughs> to know God, to know the, the scripture, right? And to help people know God and know the scripture. Those are the ones who hear Jesus say that and y'all, they stand here and they go, you're a fraud. This is what they, this is their charge, if I can say it that way against him. That's, you're not who you say you are. And really, it becomes a he said, she said. You know, you're a, you're a fraud. We, we know the scripture. <laughs> I'm the son of God, I know the father. And, and literally as listeners, and we ought to be sitting here going, in a way, you know, how are we gonna resolve this? <laughs> you know, we, who's telling the truth? When we ask that question, I'm telling you, we are getting right at the center of the context of this passage today. But I don't want you to know it just intellectually, like, okay, that's the context. I want you to feel it. I want you to emotionally connect with the context. One of the ways I can hopefully help get you there is through a little music. And so, you know, that's just what, how God has so wired us with music. So I'm just gonna play, a, I'm gonna play a little piece of music that gets us even deeper into the context. Some are like, oh yeah. And some of you are looking at it like, what's he playing? I have no idea what he's playing. I don't know. What are we playing? Theme from Perry Mason. Now for those of you who are too young or you know, you didn't, get, didn't see that or whatever, Perry Mason was the original legal drama. And, and that's just simply a fact in the 50s. Everything from then on, you can read about it, is a template of the Perry Mason, you know, TV drama. He's a lawyer. And so when, when you, you know, those of us who know that, when you hear that, you are prepped for some courtroom drama, right? And, and it's, you know, it's kind of like a, I'm not trying to kill this, but it's like a Hallmark movie. We know how it begins and we know how it ends, right? So in Perry Mason, it's that, you know, there's somebody guilty and then, you know, the, the case builds, case builds, and then boom, it's resolved, right? In the final five minutes. Well, I want us there because what we are reading and what we're getting ready to dive deeper into is a trial. This is courtroom drama. A lot of us, and, and I do, you know, you think, well, wait, wait, Jesus was on trial, you know, during, uh, you know, the, the Passion Week, right before his crucifixion. What John wants us to see is Jesus has been on trial since his birth. And now, in, in particular, this particular scene is huge within this gospel account. This is a trial in which, wait, he said, she said, who's telling the truth here? And boy, oh boy, we end up, catch this, we end up sitting in the courtroom. And I'm just gonna say this to you. We are not there as spectators. We're not. 
There's something required of us because we're there. Well, I'll start in verse 30. We're going to take 30 through 47. Scholars are, are, are debated. They're, they're not, there's a debate as to how many witnesses are called. And this is a, this is, you'll see this witness language throughout. Some say five, some say four, some say three. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, I'm going to align with uh, James Montgomery Boyce, excellent biblical scholar who, who goes through the passion and say, you know, there's three witnesses that, that, that are brought into the courtroom to determine is, is Jesus telling the truth or are these guys telling the truth? I'll explain that as we go through it. Let me start with a preliminary comment and it begins in verse 30. So follow along there in your Bibles. John chapter five, verse 30. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I like Frederick Bruner's statement about Jesus here. He speaks of Jesus having and living in a posture of deep dependence. And I, I just, I like the ring of that. It's deep dependence. It's reflected, by the way, his dependence on the Father in this verse and other places. It's reflected in actually what comes out of him and how he lives and what he lives for. You, you, you notice I'm de he's dependent, but, but he says, I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. My dependence leads to my way of life. It's the second time he said it in this chapter. Don't turn there, 519 says, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing, dependence, purpose. And, and this is not a bunny trail, but just hold this. He's saying this, and this is happening. Listen, for those who follow him, that's what it means to follow him, dependence, and this is my purpose in life. It flows from my dependence upon the father. The life you and I are made for, this is replete throughout the gospels. It's not a life of independence. I finally get to do what I wanna do. I'm gonna do what I wanna do. It's not the life you were made for. You and I were made for a life of dependence, deep dependence upon the Father. Still preliminary here, we're gonna get to these witnesses, but notice this next section I wanna hit, it sets us up for that, verses 31 and 32. Jesus says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. Well, what's happening here? Well, we've got to go to the Old Testament. I'm going to put this up on the screen. Deuteronomy 19, 15. Uh, here we read in the law of Moses, you must not convict anyone of a crime on the testimony of only one witness. The facts of the case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. See, don't miss this. Jesus is not above the law. No, no, Jesus is under the law and will fulfill the law to the jot and tittle. And what Jesus says here is, you know, the law says that you're gonna convict somebody of anything. Uh, you've gotta have more than one witness. And I mean, it's staggering for him to say in a way, but he says, look, if I'm the only one who says, I'm the son of God, I've been sent by the father. If I'm the only one who says it, the idea here being, if I'm the only one who says it, then the law says my testimony is not valid. And you and I go, I mean, he's Jesus. But 
again, he's under the law. He says, no, no, so, so I, there's gotta be more than just me. It's kind of crazy to think about that he would submit himself in that way. All agree that the other witness of verse 32, there's another who bears witness, that's the father. And I'm gonna tell you, the father plays a huge role in this section. You'll see the father over and over and over again. I know it's the father, we know it's the father. Later in verse 30, 37, Jesus says, and the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. So, so the father is a witness to the son. Now here's why some people say, okay, the, the witnesses in this passage are the father, da-da-da-da-da-da. I'm saying there's the witness of the father, but then he, there's three witnesses. Here's why. And this is following Boyce's understanding, and I, and I think it's appropriate. Jesus has said, I can do nothing apart from the Father. Can't do anything apart from the Father. And so I think it's perhaps better to see the witnesses in this way. These witnesses that show up in this courtroom, who's bringing them? The Father. The Father is bringing these witnesses for his Son. So this is how we'll work through the passage. He gives three witnesses. I'm gonna hit each one. Uh, the first is there in verses 33 to 35. Follow along in your Bibles. First witness, you sent to John and he's borne witness to the truth. Not that, I, not that the testimony that I receive is from a man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his like, what did John say about Jesus? Just stick with real plain language here. He's a witness. Give your testimony, John, about this man, Jesus. Well, what did he say? I'm just gonna hit this quickly. Chapter 129, he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, pointing at Jesus. When he was speaking of the baptism, when he, he baptized Jesus, John says this, this is chapter 133 and 34. God told me, that the one who I see the Holy Spirit descend and remain on is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. The one who, who the Spirit descends and remains on, that's, that's the Son of God, that's the Messiah. And he says, and I have seen and borne witness, this is the Son of God. Now there's just no getting around the, the literal facts of what John says of Jesus. Now, Jesus says to these leaders, and even in light of those things that John says, he says, you, you know, you were, you rejoiced in uh, John for a season. The, the word rejoice there carries this idea of revelry. And here's the thing, y'all, when, when Jesus comes on the scene, please understand, it's like um, Jesus was the opening act for John the Baptist. It's like, there's John the Baptist. I mean, he's got thousands. And she, see what I'm saying? Jesus was this. And when, when, when he shows up, there's this sense of revelry about John. He even says to the religious leaders, you guys kind of got way caught up in the specter. That's what he's saying of John. You, you were swept up in that for a season. John was a lamp shining the light on the true light. First witness, John the Baptist, a historical, verifiable person who said these things. 
the second witness of the Father. This is verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. I've already noted that where we are in John chapter five, there've already been three signs, water into wine, the healing of the royal official son, and the healing of the paralytic. So there've already been three signs. And what are those signs there for? They're there to say, Jesus is who he says he is. These signs verify that. They point to Jesus in this way. It's bigger than that though, when I say the works of Jesus. They include the signs. There'll be seven of them in the book. But they also include, notice Jesus says, to accomplish the very works that I am doing. Look, I'm doing a work right now as I'm in this trial <laughs> that validates who I am. Well, how, how, how is that that way, Jesus? Well, here's something very important in our text. If you'll look back at verse 34, he said, not that the testimony I say receives from, that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. The works of Jesus are yes, his signs, but they're every word he spoke, every act he did, every, it, those are the works. And what are those works for? So that we might be saved. The work of redemption. So that would include all that Jesus, the works I do validate who I am. And of course, that's gonna culminate where? In the cross, in the grave, in the resurrection, yes. But it's all of that. There are so many things Jesus said and did, y'all, that aren't in this book, okay? And John says it. I'm just speaking, I'm saying what he said. Last verse of the book. If I recorded everything Jesus said and did, there's not enough books to write it all in. He's speaking in hyperbole, but his point is, I'm just covering a few, but I think these are adequate and the most important for him. First witness, John the Baptist. Uh, the second witness is the works of Jesus. Now, this is important. There's a progression happening First witness, John the Baptist. There's a greater testimony than John. It's the works of Jesus. See, it's going this, and then it's, uh. it's, just like in, it's just like in those courtroom dramas. I mean, it's just like in Perry Mason. Again, <laughs> I get tickled because I was playing the theme music. I kind of watched a little bit of different stuff and you go back and watch them. And it always, you know, those courtroom dramas and even the ones today, they, you know, it's the same template. It's like, Someone's guilty of something and they're brought on a trial and there's evidence and you kind of go, oh boy, that's bad for them. And then you get to the middle and it's like, oh my gosh, it's, it's, that's not good, you know, whatever. And Perry Mason did this all the time. It would be in the last five minutes of the show, this guy's on the stand, he's, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's trying to prove that he's guilty or whatever. And then at the last minute, you know, Perry Mason's handed a file. He hands it to the judge, judge goes, Perry Mason walks over and hands it to the, you know, the, the, the defense attorney or whatever. He looks at it. And, and by that moment, the guy that's in the sand literally is going, oh, I did it, I did it, I killed her, I killed her. The, you know, the last piece of evidence just like, bah, just blows him apart. There's a sense to which here, John the Baptist, the works of Jesus. And then, okay, it's that. 
We read the third witness of the Father in verses 37 to 47. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them they have eternal life. You have eternal life. And it's they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I, I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? John the Baptist, the works of Jesus. Do you see, let's just go here. Do you see the space, the words he gives to this last witness? It's three times the first two. First two are valid. I don't think it would take away from that. But do you see the emphasis on this witness? What is that? The witness of the scriptures. It's where Jesus spends his time. Listen to Boyce on this. I have it on the screen. You can read it. He says, this is the most important of the three. For of the three witnesses, the witnesses, the witness of John the Baptist, the signs and scriptures, it's the evidence of the scriptures upon which Jesus most fully dwells. This witness is not referred to in passing as is the witness of signs, nor is it overshadowed by others as is the case with the witness of John the Baptist. Instead, Jesus concentrates upon this testimony so much that the verses that deal with it emerge as one of the most significant summaries of the importance of scripture in the gospels. Now let's, let's think, let's ponder. Jesus is speaking to leaders, religious leaders, who have dedicated their lives to knowing the scripture. These are not people who have a devotion, a quiet time and go to work. These are not people who have, go to a Bible study once a week. I'm not exaggerating when I say these are people whose lives are committed to the Hebrew scripture. You may have a hundred verses memorized. They've memorized Isaiah. You know, I'm, it, I'm not exaggerating. And Jesus is looking at them, oh my gosh, and saying, the word's not even in you. And I guarantee you, they could go, they could just start speaking it out. This says, the word's not even in you. How is it that such biblically saturated people can actually be, according to Jesus, biblically bankrupt? Bankrupt. Jesus gives us a clue here, and boy, this is, some, this is really important about biblical faith. Verse 41, I do not receive glory from people. Jesus says, I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. Verse 44, how can you believe 
when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God, i.e. from the Father. Jesus lived his life for an audience of one. I'm, this is not a trite statement. I know it's kind of, you know, silly, but he lived for, for the audience of one, the Father. The religious leaders, they live for the audience of the many, people. They, were, they, they live to be acknowledged by and seen by people. Jesus just lived his life to be acknowledged of the Father. And there's some real, there's some real practical um, principles of, of our own spiritual growth here that I, I don't want us to miss. You know, it's, I'll, I'll pose this question. Where did Jesus get his self-identity, his core identity? Where did he get it? He got it from the Father. Where did, where did Jesus determine and find his source for his whole meaning in life? This is what I'm living for, from the Father. Where did the religious leaders find their identity? From people, from the glory of others. Where did they find their meaning of, here's how I'm gonna live my, from what was, where they got approval from the crowds and from others. I just think that's important for us, you see, for you and I, for me. What am I living for and what's the basis of what I'm living for? Your applause, the approval of so-and-so, or is it just rooted deeply in this deep dependence upon the Father? Now, what Jesus does in this scene, it's fascinating. He is defending himself. The father has brought these witnesses. And if there's anything that this side, so to speak, that the scribes and Pharisees, if there's anything they had on their side that they were banking on, do you know what it was? The scripture, the scripture. And so Jesus takes their key witness. That's their key witness. And he walks over and he takes their key witness out of their hands. He brings over here and he uses their key witness to bonk them on the head. It's like, what? He just, he just turned into the prosecutor. And he's using their key, I mean, law and order doesn't get that good. You know, some of these dramas, they're not. This is, this is amazing. This is life and death. This is eternity in the balance when Jesus does this. Look at verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Y'all, I was probably 13 or 14 years old when I got my first Bible, at least, at least that I remember I got my first Bible. My parents were not believers they were awesome parents, and I'm sure they got it out of, this is a good thing for you to read and have. And it was King James, you know, black and stiff. And um, I, I, I did what you do. What do you do when someone hands you a book? Where do you start reading? Page one, you know, I just start, you start reading there. I started in Genesis. 
Leviticus did me in for sure, you know, right? And as it, as it does, I, someone came up to me after the last service was talking about someone, and this, it's, he, that's the same story. Leviticus, you get to the blood and guts, it's like, mm. like, like in Genesis and Exodus, there's kind of these crazy stories of drama and what's happening. You get to Leviticus, you go, wah, wah, and you're done. I, the truth is, I wasn't a believer. I'm 13, 14 years old. Um, I didn't know what was happening. I didn't understand this. And I never would until I understood the key that unlocks the scripture. The little, you know, invisible thing you put over it and all of a sudden it goes, Whoa, oh, that's what it is. What is that? And what is the key to understanding the whole? You're not going to be shocked by this. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, I tell you, this book is about Jesus. It points to Jesus. Oh, it's a moral, there are morals in this book. It's a good, it's a moral book. We'll tell you right from wrong. It's an instruction book. Look, you could, people read the Bible just for little nuggets of wisdom. You'll have a better life, quite frankly, if you follow some of the principles of the Bible. It's a, it's a book in that way. It explains the origins of life. Yes, yes, indeed it does. It tells us why we're here and where we're going. But it is primarily fundamentally, essentially, and truly a book about Jesus. It's, that's what it is. And if you try to read it any other way, you misunderstand it and you will misapply it. Everything and all things point to the one to come. Time doesn't allow me this morning to kind of hit some of these things, but trust me when I say this, because it's what Jesus said of himself, post-resurrection, the gospel of Luke, two guys walk into Emmaus. Jesus has been crucified, resurrected. Jesus joins them. You know this story, the story is actually funny. They're walking. God, I can't believe what happened, man. I thought he was the one, he's not the one. This third guy joins them. He says, what are you guys talking about? He says, what, are you an idiot? Where are you from? Have you not been in Jerusalem? I mean, this guy, Jesus, we had our hopes on him. It's Jesus, it's Jesus. Isn't that funny to you? I mean, Y'all aren't laughing, but it's funny to me. Like it's Jesus standing there and they're going, I don't know, you don't know what you, who are you? And, and then Luke says this, then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining from all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Wow. Which is why Jesus can look at these, he, they can, he can take the scripture, which by the way is the Hebrews, the Old Testament, he can take the scripture from them and look at them who have it memorized and say, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me. Because everything you've memorized is what Moses wrote about me. Robin, Rob and I talk about this quite often and, and he would say this to you, because we do, we actually compare notes. And we'll talk about people we run into who, who, who are members at Fellowship. We're so grateful for those of you who join us as a community of faith. This is where God wants you. But you know, in, in the intro class and in other places, quite frankly, it's, it's not unusual to, to, to just go, you know, I don't know, 15 people in a room, you know, what, what brought you to Fellowship? And this is not to pat me or Rob on the back, but literally, you know, over half would, would say, oh, because you teach the Bible. And for, for Rob and I, it's like, yes. 
And in the same breath, it's like, ooh, why would I do that? Because God forbid that we, community of faith, that we'd be, oh, those people know their Bible. Where the whole point is that we would know Jesus. And would that people, when we lock arms together in this mission for the kingdom, that we, I'm speaking of we and me and you, would be known as people who know Jesus. They just know Jesus. Now you're not gonna know Jesus apart from the Bible. I get that, so you can't separate them, but, but don't confuse them either or put the priority in the wrong place. Close your Bibles, put your notes aside. We have a little bit of very important work to do. I said you and I are in this room, we are. Look, if you're here this morning, for whatever reason, you're here, you're hearing this. If you're online, you're watching, you're in. You can't run away now and say, I never heard that. You're here for, in God's providence. I said, we're in the courtroom. You are. You're not in the jury box. We're all on trial. Don't, you're, not, you're not making a judgment here for somebody else. This story is yours today and mine because you and I, you and I are on trial. Our belief, what do you believe? The evidence is in, you, you gotta decide. Are these guys right? He's a fraud. Or is this man telling the truth? He's the son of the living God. That's, that's it. And you go, well, I'm not ready. To, I'm still on the fence. There is no fence. There is no fence. If you say, well, I'm still, I'm, I'm still on the fence. No, you're here if you're there because there's either here or there. That's what the Bible says. And we are not going to leave this morning without pausing at least to give enough time for you to decide. You know, some may be listening to me, you, 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 may, you may be thinking, and, and, and this, is, this is good, but you, you're th you think, you know, I'm, I've always, you know, I'm gonna get around to it one day, and you know, I really, I'm not gonna believe in Jesus until he shows me this. Or, you know, I, I can't believe in God until this happens, he's gotta do this. May I say to you with all the, the, the compassion and kindness I can, God's never made a promise that he's gonna do whatever you think he needs to do in order for you to believe in him. Can I tell you what he has done? He's given three witnesses right here. That's, this is where we are. And that means God the Father has said, John the Baptist, the works of Jesus and the Bible is enough to accept Christ or reject him. It's enough. To, 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 be, to walk into life or to be condemned. That's what it's telling us. This is sobering, sobering. Speaking of the scripture, let's just remind ourselves because to whom much is given, much is required. When they said, when Jesus said, look, the, 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 the scriptures speak of me and this scripture is enough for you to know me or to reject me. He was talking about the Old Testament. So that's, that was enough. 
Think about what we have. We have the whole New Testament. <laughs> like, if this is the cross, we're on this side of the cross looking back, and we actually have four historically valid descriptions, accounts of Jesus's life. What was hidden in the Old Testament, it's hard to see. <laughs> I mean, what's the newest um, TV screens that are so good now? What are they? OLE, what, I don't know what they're called. But look, we're talking 10K, you know, pixels. That's what we have. I mean, we actually have letters, historically accurate, valid, verified letters from those who walk with Jesus that tell you and I, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you what it means to follow him. See what I'm saying? We, have, we actually have a book in here, it's a crazy book in some ways, but it tells how the whole world's gonna end and how the beginning of the end is gonna happen and how he's gonna recreate all things and how forever, you know, see, do you see what we have? So, so dare we listen to this and then just kind of say, yeah, I'm gonna think about Jesus, I'll decide later. No, 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 I'm gonna encourage you, I'm exhorting you. I'm gonna stop talking and I'm gonna ask you simply this question. What's your verdict? Are they telling the truth, Jesus is a liar? Or is Jesus telling the truth, he's the son of God?